Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are, whoever you are. Welcome back to the show. Listen, today we're going to talk about how to go from zero to a million in 60 days. And how we're going to do this is we're going to talk to a friend of mine by the name of Edmund Chen. He is a coach. He is a private equity, a former private equity executive. He is an all-around beast. Let's go ahead and get into it. David Chance presents to you the morning meetup. Do you have an idea you need to get off the ground? Are you a small business owner looking to earn supplemental income or replace your current income? Come and join the most amazing mentorship and accountability group for entrepreneurs live with David Shans himself. That's right. This is not pre-recorded and it's not a replay. This is live every morning, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. Eastern. In addition to the live calls, you also receive a weekly individual Q&A call, a private Facebook community, access to all call replays, and access to David's list of resources and contacts you need to be in an environment of success so head over to themorningmeetup.com today for your one dollar seven day trial that's right just one dollar for seven days of access to the morning meetup take massive action towards manifesting your dreams today themorningmeetup.com are you starting your journey into real estate business or entrepreneurship are you in need of strategies to help you reach your daily goals? That's right. Then the That's Oliver right. Perry Show is for you. Come and get the experiences and strategies to help you be successful. Woo! And now, your host, you know who it is, sis? You know who it is Oliver, Perry. Oliver Perry. Ed, what's up, brother? Hey, it's great being here. Brother, it is good to have you. I'm super excited to have you here. Um, I don't think I don't I don't think I missed too much. On your intro, right? You, you, I have done private equity investing. As a matter of fact, you did it for 15 years, right? Around 15 years, more than 15 years, probably. Now you're doing coaching. You're helping people transition from high-level military and combat arms and kung fu ninja stuff to models, to actresses, directors. You name it. Ed's doing it, and he's taking them into the financial services industry. And uh, please correct me if did I did I miss anything? Let's go there. Did I miss anything? No, it, yeah, that that sounds pretty accurate, and it's uh, a great a, a great high level uh, sort of uh, explanation of, of some of the things that I've done. Fantastic. All right, cool. Now let's get into it, Ed, because you and I talk. We talk relatively often, and um, normally we trash talk, but we're talking. <laughs> we're always talking about something. And one thing that I did want to make sure we got after today was how to raise a million from zero in 60 days. Because there's a lot of people who are real estate investors or looking into the multifamily space or just doing single family and want to figure out how to raise money. So, and I wanted, let's let's dive straight into it. What would you do starting that out? How, what would be the first thing you did? So being able to raise a million dollars in 60 days is no small feat. A big part of what uh, success you have to uh, uh, reach first is mindset. And in your mind, being able to see and visualize being able to close that million dollars. So the next part of it is, is also taking a look at what is your current ability? Where do you currently stand? So the way that I explain to people when I coach them is that when you're raising capital, there's two major components and I compare it to like swimming. So when you're swimming, you can get really far if you can find a good tide and a good current. And all you have to do is just float and then the current will take you out and you'll travel a very far distance. Uh, at the same time, you can travel a very far distance in water if you're swimming and if you're a really good swimmer, right? Now, okay. the ideal is if you have both, right? So if you're a great swimmer and you find the right tide or the right current, that can move you very, very far. So what is that? Uh, what's the equivalent of that when it comes to raising capital? 
there's a whole bunch of people out there right now uh, that are younger, raising capital. They're using a lot of technology. Marketing and digital marketing is like finding a good tie. And you don't have to be a great salesperson. All you have to do is if you have the right audience and make the right broadcast and get out there, well, you found a really good tie. And congratulations, you can you can you know, raise a million dollars pretty quick. But for me, I'm an old school person, right? So of course, after being in the industry for so long, I've got a, a, I've learned how to become a really good swimmer. And that's the major component of what I teach people when I'm coaching. So I'm not a specialist at, at finding the tide. I'm more a specialist at going and having the sales ability and being able to close. Now, I'm biased, of course. And I will say that if you do have a good tide, being a good swimmer is always going to help. So that's kind of like the, the first part of it is, is take a look at where, what skill set do I have? Am I, do I, am I a really good digital marketing person or you know, where's my sales ability? How, what do I feel my sales ability is? And then break it down from there. Right. Okay. Now we've talked about, we talked about the, you mentioned something and something, and I'm going to be a little bit selfish for those of you who are watching right now. I'm big when it comes to the online marketing part. I'm good on video. It's where I'm comfortable as well as audio. But one thing when we had talked before, one thing you said, you said, Ali, yes, you're good on those things, but there's one thing you're never going to be able to avoid when it comes to raising capital. And that's getting onto those phones and talking to people and talking to them in person. And when you said it, I I knew it, right? But I didn't want to accept it. And now, now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm like, okay, he's absolutely right. Can you tell us what are those conversations, what should those conversations be like? What needs to be said and how, how do we really initiate those conversations, particularly when you're like an introvert and you want to get into capital raising, but you're just not super comfortable with talking to people? Yeah, absolutely. So part of it is this mindset or this this quote that I pull from Zig Ziglar, which is you can have everything you want in life if you help just enough other people get what they want in life. So regardless of who you're going to talk to, most people are searching for something in life. Right. regardless if it's financial or or not. So it really, especially for introverts, it really takes the pressure off when you're on a phone call. Because now you can say, the, the person I'm talking to wants something in life. So why don't I start asking them about that? What do you hope to get? And they'll start to open up. And they'll start telling about, well, these are my challenges. These are the things I'm concerned about, whether it's my kids, what running out of money, they'll say something. And then you can start to show them or start to figure out, okay, where I want to go is become a real estate investor or raise a million dollars in capital. What would would my ask uh, pair well with the direction that they're heading in life, right? Right. So if they say that I'm worried about running out of money, it's like, well, great. I actually happen to be a real estate investor and, and I might be able to help you along that road. Let me show you how other people have been able to accomplish or been able to solve that problem using real estate. Well, now it becomes a little easier to, to have that conversation with them. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. That, that actually makes perfect sense because it's basically just like you said, it's the marketing side of it in me. The marketing in me says knowing your audience's problem, knowing what the issue is, knowing what you need to tell them for them to want to come to you with whatever that problem is. Um, you see wholesalers do it. The best example is, uh, I think it was like a Geico commercial. And Geico said, <laughs> Geico had the commercial on. And before you can hit the skip button on YouTube, Geico said, you can't skip this ad because it's over, right? And, and that was it. And that was how they yeah. were speaking to everybody's problem. Like immediately, that was the first thing they said. You, <laughs> you, can't, you can't beat us because it's already done. And that was it. But it's a, it's a genius move. And it makes even more sense for those who are introverted, because for introverts, if you can, in my opinion, if you can tell them, hey, you need to know what this guy likes or doesn't like when it comes to buying groceries. 
and you can get right to it. This way they spend as little time in the discomfortable, this uncomfortable spot as possible and can get right to the meat of the situation. So that's excellent advice. Ed. That's um, That makes a lot of sense. So moving, let's move forward. So we're doing this in 60 days. You already said that 60 days is not an easy thing to do. So outside of mindset, like what's the first physical thing that they need to do? Is it a CRM? Is it uh, just putting down the names of family and calling them and emailing people? What's the very first thing that you would do? Like we said, if you're starting with zero, got no money in your pocket, you're like, hey, I'm going to raise money and I'm going to be amazing at it. What's with your experience of 15 years or so of it doing it? What would you do very first? All right. So just a quick extra thought before we, we move on to that question. Um, just to sum up the last part that we were talking about is when you're broadcasting and you're speaking to other people, when it comes to considering your audience, a big element of what you're trying to do is empathize. Really good capital raisers and salespeople have an ability to empathize. And you're basically saying, what is it? Tell me what it's like to be you. Right. And that's what you're saying is, well, what are your pain points? What is it like to be you? And where that differentiates yourself from everybody else is that there's so many quote unquote salespeople or even people out in society that just only care about themselves and only talk about themselves. Right. And when you become, you change that polarity and say, oh, I'm a person that's just interested in hearing what your life is like and the challenges that you're facing. There's very few people in society that are like that. So when you say that, that already makes you stand out and people start to open up. And that's what you're looking for. So empathy is the key. It's one of the key approaches to get into. So let's let's stay there for a little bit. I, we can get to the the, the million sixty in, in, in six, the million and sixty days. We're gonna get to it. But this is, I think, this is important because this is something that you don't hear often. We always hear it put in the format of figure out their problems. I've only heard it one time when it comes to the empathy piece. Talk, go a little bit more in detail if you can, Ed, on the process of figuring out how, how do you develop that empathy? Because for those who are super, who, who struggle with empathy, like myself, what is it that I need to do to figure out how to clean all that empathy up and to be able to empathize with people and really understand what's going on in their side of the stick? I think the first part is asking good questions and showing that you genuinely care. So, and when it's very small, little subtle differences and the difference between failure and success is not about these big major differences. It's about these tiny little habits or these tiny little things collected all together, executed over long periods of time. It's just like going to the gym, right? So success in physical fitness is not about going to the gym once and then bench pressing 300 pounds and then never going to the gym again. It's about pushing yourself a little bit outside your comfort zone, a little bit outside your ability, and then doing that consistently, you know, three times a week, every day, whatever it is over long periods of time. So what is the first part of empathy? The first part of empathy is changing slightly your vocabulary and orienting your vocabulary to your audience, not to you. I'll give you an example. There's a whole bunch of people in the real estate world that that are capital raising and they do these challenges and you see it quite a lot online and you'll see people that were saying like, oh, I'm doing the 100K in 30 day challenge or the, you know, the, in this case, we'll do you know, a million in 60 day challenge and they'll right. make a little hashtag and they'll throw it all over social media. That's more about you. So if I was an audience member and if I was an investor, say, well, you've added a, a, a deadline in urgency for your sake, not for my sake. There's no benefit for me. The benefit for you is, is that you become a hero if you get it. So why should I invest my money and my time for something that I, looks like somebody's trying to uh, trailblaze faster than they should be? 
It's okay to set that goal for yourself, but don't make it public because that's not a selling feature for me. I could care less if you're trying to raise a hundred thousand in 30 days or a million dollars in 60 days, right? That's your goal. That's not my goal, right? So what it, what you can do is create it and craft it differently where it's in their best interest. So give me an example, how I would pivot that or slightly adjust it is to say that I've got a great, I'm raising capital for a great deal right now. However, it closes in 60 days and I cannot get anybody else in after that. Now that is a deadline that is essentially saying the same thing, but it's oriented to my audience. It's a, it's a benefit for you, not a benefit for me, which is pay attention because after 60 days, I will not be able to get you into this deal. Right. It's gone. Okay. That's uh, I'm listen, I'm taking notes. And also for those of you who are watching and listening, if you were in those challenges don't feel bad i did it too it's all for purpose it's all for growth you're gonna get better whatever it is and however you do it you're gonna get better but definitely i'm taking some of that and i'm running with it uh also for those of you who are watching again and listening if you'd like to ask a question please feel free at the end uh ed has agreed to grace us with some q a if you've got any questions on capital raising i'm sure ed can entertain it and he will be able to answer your questions so just drop them in the chat wherever you're at and i should be able to see it now Going forward, Ed, so let's get back into the 60 days from zero. What you were going to go over the very first step, the first thing you need to do to get that started, because I know you've got a full on um, a, a full layout on how to get it done and you'll get into it. But let's start at step number one. W- what are we doing? So the first step in every year in private equity, we would always have our targets. So Jan- come January, we'd sit down and everybody take a look around the table, all the capital raisers, and then they would assign a number and say, well, this is, you know, they would basically say, Ed, how much do you think you're going to be able to raise by the end of the year? And you'd say a number and then they would say, great. And then they would add on 40% and say, that's where you that's what you have to raise by the end of the year. Right. So it would freak you out. And then the next step you would do is you would go in and you start to break it down into bite-sized pieces. So you start breaking it down by quarter and then every quarter you start breaking it down by monthly and then every month you break it down to weekly targets, almost getting to the point where it's you can break it down to how much do you need to raise on every single meeting in order to reach that target by the end of the year, right? So it's taking a look and and basically taking your goal and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces so it doesn't seem as daunting. Okay, that makes perfect sense. So that makes perfect sense. So basically it's just, it's the old adage of how do you eat the elephant, right? And you eat it piece by piece. Exactly. And going back to what you said earlier, it's it's really the 1%, not 1% rule, (laughs) improvement on 1%, 1% better every day. Right. Okay, dope. So now let's Let's go now. How many? First of all, how many steps are there into this process? Would you say in your in your way of doing it? What? what how many steps would you say is there? Well, here's here's the first thing that I would do. Let's let's take a look at the the full numbers here. And if you throw up the the spreadsheet that I that I created, this is an example of what I would do when I was working with somebody. Right. So if somebody says, "Hey, Ed, I want to raise um, I want to raise a million in sixty days." Right. So this is this is the kind of numbers that I would start to break down for people. Okay, so let's put down. Okay, there's sixty days there, right? And then there's which is basically eight weeks. And best practices in financial services is that we're we've been taught in on Wall Street or in financial services that in order to reach significant targets and th- these kind of numbers are seem to be relatively significant then you really have to look at 10 meetings a week, having 10 new qualified meetings. So brand new people that you don't know, bef- that you haven't met before that are qualified. So you book 10 
and a couple will fall out. So you're ideally aiming for eight meetings a week, right? So you got eight weeks, eight meetings a week, that's 64 meetings. And these are qualified people. That's the type of pipeline that you need to fill in to be able to hit some of these kind of numbers, right? Okay. So that's kind of the time frame. So the, the next piece is like, okay, great. If we're working on a 64 meetings across 60 days, this is our raise. Our raise is a million dollars over here. Now, if we close on every single meeting, then we only really have to close $15,000, right? So it <laughs> doesn't seem like such a big number. Now, it's also unrealistic to expect that you're going to close on every single meeting, right? Now you take a look at where's my sales ability. And this is where the swimming comes into. What kind of swimmer am I? And take a look at, for me, I've closed a million dollars in one meeting before, right? Mm -hmm. So I know that, that I'm at that kind of caliber. So it's possible for me that in order to raise a million dollars, I can do it in one meeting. If I have the right client, I can do it, you know, but that's probably a whale and it's not, it, those are few and far between. It's more realistic. If I was trying to break down for myself, you know, I have, I know I have the capacity to close a million, but realistically, I'll probably aim for 350 to 250, which means I really have to have four closing meetings uh, in the course of 60 days, which is kind of realistic. But you don't get to a $250,000 person or being able to close that from day one. Big part of it is asking yourself, how much money can I get somebody to write for me or how much confidence? How do I talk? How do I carry myself? How much experience do I have? Right. And how much money do I think I can get in one meeting? And if you're a $50,000 person, it's like, well, I, I'm pretty sure I can close $50,000. If you're a $50,000 person, then you got to run your stats. That means that I have to have 20 closing meetings in order to get to a million dollars. You got to break it all down. Hmm. So basically then what you're doing is you're, you're backwards planning going from whatever number that you know you can raise to whatever number you're going to end up getting. Like you said, with the 50K, and we'll go back to the example so you guys can see as I'm talking. So on this, for the 50K, you know you have to do 20 meetings to get that 50K to hit 100, uh, 1 million. But at the same token, right. you can hit 10, but you got to close 100,000 on each one of those 10. But what's so when you're sitting down doing those meetings, though, what's the average? Right. Like, what's because I know in, in some real estate events, you'll they'll say, hey, for every 100 people you talk to or 100 deals you go through, you'll get three that accept and you'll actually close one. With doing the capital raising, I imagine it's something similar. What's the normal averages when it comes to how many people you meet? Versus how many people you actually close once you get them to the meeting. Right. So beginning in private equity, rookie um, capital raisers are given a target. You're not allowed to take a minimum of 25000 or less. Right. So okay. 25000 is usually the starting point as the bare minimum. Some will, some will set 50000 as the minimum. because And the reason why is 25000 is not worth the effort. It's not worth the effort of client relationship, opening accounts, due diligence, all those types of meetings, right? So 50 is probably more of a realistic number. Um, so if you can't raise between 25 and 50,000, you should really be stopping and spending some more time on improving your skills, right? You got to become a better swimmer. So that's kind of like the default starting place. Now, I would say the average person uh, would probably be around uh, 50, if, the first, if this is the first raise you're ever doing, it's probably around 50 to 100,000. Now, and you'll be able to figure it out. So as you start having some meetings and you start asking for 100,000 and the person looks at you or the investor looks at you and say, you know what, 
I'm more comfortable with maybe 50,000. Then you realize, you know what? I'm a $50,000 person. I've asked for a hundred and the, the, the couple is really only comfortable at 50,000, right? right? And then just keep trying, just keep trying, keep pushing. And eventually the more you close, the more you'll realize it's really difficult for me to convince somebody to give me more than $50,000. Then you realize, okay, if that's the case, I'm a $50,000 person. How many meetings do I need to have on a, a, on the next 64 days? Well, that's, you have to have 20 closing meetings in order to get that. Right. But does, so does it, so does it change? I know in, in multifamily side, it always seems like there's there's a certain thing that's kind of the multifamily standard, if you will. And normally it's once one's done, everything starts rolling in. And I, I, the same thing harkens back when it, in my mind when you talk about the capital raising part. Because after you close somebody, let's say at 50K, you get the investment done, the investment comes back three, four years later, whatever the, the closeout time is to close that deal. And then now they've got, let's say it doubles up 100K in their pocket. They're going to be more inclined to invest with you with 100K now because you close out that 50K. Is that true or is that just my thought process? Yeah. Sorry. You just cut out there for a second. Oh, um, okay. So <laughs> what, you're, yeah. what you're talking about is rollover and you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, most investors, they're, they're testing you out. Your first raise is going to be on the smaller side. But then as your investment matures and you kick back mm-hmm. out your, uh, your investment, a lot of times investors, uh, provided that you, you get great service, you got great investor relations, a lot of times somewhat, something like 70 to 90% of that would be rolled over and then advanced. And then sometimes even added to, and then you start to build your book that way. Mm, okay. Okay. So rollover is what it's called. So I just learned something new. That's fantastic. Okay, cool. So we do have, uh, we got a couple couple questions that are popping in, but for now, uh, T-Will, we're definitely going to get to your question. Don't sweat it. We still got uh, a little bit of time left. So I'm going to hit Ed with the next piece and let him get into the next part of this process so we can make sure I give you guys as much value as possible. Now, um, I know Ed's not going to be able to hit Ed everything because we've got a small amount of time. So Ed, just give, a, I guess, a, a, a short brief over on the next couple steps when it comes to it, then you guys from there, you can reach out to him and, and he can definitely help you out. So go for it, Ed. Right. The next two points that I will go into is if you're raising a million dollars in 60 days, you got to understand that for you, in order to do that, it's to excel over everybody else, which means that are you willing to do things as a capital raiser or go further than other people out there that they either will not or cannot do? I'll give you a quick example. Uh, one of the first times I raised, uh, I, I took a million dollar check. Mm-hmm. This just blew my mind how this happened. I, I, I caught a million dollar check on a first meeting. And it's like, it never happened to before. And the reason why I got a million dollars on a first meeting with somebody mm-hmm. is because I was willing to drive 30, uh, three hours north. They're like, lived well out of the city and they're very high net worth. And they, they told me they had so many advisor, investment advisors from downtown Toronto that were calling them and they would always end off with, well, one, if you come into our office, we'll be able to go through and come up with a portfolio plan for you. I was the only person that drove three hours up to, it was essentially a cottage, but that's where they lived. And they lived in a very remote area and I drove three hours to go see them. And, the, and I didn't realize I was going to close. By the time I closed, they, they stopped and they said, you got this account the day, the, the second you showed up. Because you're the wow. only licensed stockbroker advisor that took the time to come out here. And wow. my wife and I, we agreed that whoever comes up here gets this account. And I was willing to do something that other advisors could not or would not do. So go the extra mile and make it easy for other people to give you money or to, to entrust their money to you, which is a form of empathy and white glove service. What can I do to make it to make my clients comfortable? Hmm. Okay. Now, if... 
uh, sorry to you. I know you got a question. I've got one more. So <laughs> Ed, if you didn't have that situation, and this is back to the empathy piece. If you were from the outside looking in and you don't know the guy from the man on the moon, you're doing your research, looking him up, he or she up, and you want to know where you can take that extra mile. How do you find that with all the assets we have, YouTube, Facebook, IG, all these great assets you have to find it. How do you do that research? What are you do? What are you looking for? And where are you looking to find out what they need? This is where empathy comes in, right? So going back and we're starting to build those building blocks. The first piece is empathy is what does your prospect care about? The next piece is the best way to explain it in one sort of statement would be all things being equal, the likable person wins. All things being unequal, the likable person still wins. So become the likable person to that person. So if you can empathize and figure out what are they, where's their pain points, where are their values, and can I support or can I speak to those values, you start becoming a very likable person and go that extra mile. Because other people are more interested in, I want to raise a million dollars, I'm doing the the million dollars in 60 day challenge, I only care about me. And it, it already, that sounds like I'm only focused in on myself. Mm. And if you're not interested in writing me a $100,000 check, then I'm going to move on. Well, an investor right. will balk at that and then move away. If you start to take a look at it, it's like, well, tell me a little bit about yourselves. What's your pain point? It's like, well, we want to uh, we, we want to invest your money, but nobody's willing to come up here and talk to us. It's like, oh, I'll come up and talk to you. You will. I become a very likable person. Mm, that makes perfect sense. Holy moly, that makes perfect sense. That's an amazing quote, by the way. The, <laughs> the, the likable person still wins. I love it. All right. So hey, we're going to get into a quick Q&A. We've got um, one question for you that I didn't hit already. And this one comes from Tiwa. Kufu Oladipo. And Tiwa asks, how does a person identify as someone that could be skilled in capital raising or in raising capital, that is? Okay. How does a person identify as someone that could be skilled in capital raising? So one of the first things I'll do uh, is that I'll, I'll, I'll encourage people to take what's called an MBTI test, which is a Myers-Briggs type indicator. And you can just Google it and you can find it online. Just type in MBTI free test and it'll take you to 16personalities.com uh, or something like that. Take the free test, and then it will spit out one of 16 different personality types. The first letter is either going to be an E or an I. Now, if you're an E, you're an extrovert. If you're an I, you're an introvert. Now, if you're an introvert, it doesn't mean that you won't be successful in capital raising. It just means that uh, meeting new people and being in a social environment will drain you. And mm -hmm. it's not necessarily going to be that you're not going to have the advantage in the room extroverts have the advantage in the room. So I'm a raving extrovert. So for me, when I go into a room full of people, it actually energizes me. And that is one of the things where I have an advantage over the over 50% or whatever the percentage of society is. So that would favor me as a capital raiser. Once again, wow. if you really want to be a capital raiser and you're an introvert, I know some introverts that are really good at capital raising. It's just the difference is, is that they have to take time away and recharge almost daily. So it's to a disadvantage to them versus somebody like me. I have the advantage. So if you're an extrovert, then that that would start to favor you. Huh. Okay. That's an amazing that's an amazing way of looking at it. I, I didn't I didn't think about that. That is actually um I think absolutely true. I've seen quite a few people who are extroverts be very good at capital or sorry, introverts that are very good at capital raising, but afterwards I won't see them for like three or four days <laughs> at minimum. Where the extroverts, I'll see them the next day right back online yelling and screaming into the camera and what have you. Okay, so we got another question. And this one comes from Rayleigh. And this question is, how do you have, oh, sorry, how do you have a lesson learned where you didn't close? Or sorry, do you have a lesson learned 
where you didn't close and what went wrong? Mm, great question, really. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest things that uh, I went into it and I was trained from the beginning is to always expect the close. And I did. And I did that for many years. What ended up happening is, is that one of my clients uh, passed away and he was in his 40s and it was a big shock. I wasn't expecting it. Next thing you know, I'm in front of his children and his children are in their 20s. So here I am is like, of course, they're going to sign it over to me because I've been managing this portfolio for the last you know, five years. I, I did it with their dad and I didn't realize I was called to a meeting to basically get fired. And they told me that, hey, Ed, um, my friend over here that I went to high school with, he's about to get his, his license. So he's not licensed right now, but he will be next week. And we want to fire you and move this million dollar account to my friend. And I was sitting there beside myself. It's like, he's not even licensed right now. I'm licensed and I've been managing this portfolio and you're going to be firing me. I was like, I, I don't get it. It's like, I, I'm pretty much, I was expecting, well, this is how the, the portfolio is going to be managed. And I was more telling them and I went too far where I expected too much and I expected, well, of course you're going to have me manage it. Let me tell you how things are going to go. And I'm like, no, how things are going to go is we're going to fire you. Right. And I didn't give them the proper respect. I didn't read the room properly. And I recognized, you know what? I have zero capability to manage money with a millennial. My specialty throughout most of my career was baby boomers. And I knew baby boomers inside out and I really resonated with them. But at that point, I realized I have no ability to resonate with millennials. I don't even understand them. And I didn't care to learn. And because I didn't care to learn, I couldn't connect with them. And that's how I got fired. I spent the next time, I, you know what, I need to change. And I started focusing on what do millennials care about? And once again, I, I had to retool myself and empathize with the entire cohort. What are their values? What are their hopes and dreams? Instead of telling them what my hopes and dreams are, and this is how they should live. And because of that, I lost that account. And that's why I didn't close. Wow. So you went all that way to get fired, to discover you don't talk to millennials well. Then you went back into the bat lab and you sat down and dug in on figuring out how to talk to millennials. All right. I, I got to ask. So how, how did you do that? What was that? What did that look like? Did you sit down and read like Teen Magazine? What I mean, what maybe Teen Magazine was a bad example, but you know what I mean. What was what was what was the process? Yeah. What did that look like? So one of the first things I did was I hired a whole bunch of millennials, and I just sat and watched them, and I asked them how they thought. And mm -hmm. uh, I so part of it was is that some of the some of the millennials I hired they wanted to get into finance and they wanted to learn about finance. And for me, I wanted to learn how they thought. So I hired them and it was a give and take. I trained them about financial services and I wanted to learn from them. How do they think? What are their values? What do they care about? And I hired a whole bunch of folks that were you know, very active on, on Instagram. And I didn't know the first thing about Instagram. So I started posting some stuff and they look at me and like, take that down. It's like, you're, you're posting like a dad. It's like, you, you, you look terrible. And then they started telling me and they started telling me how to dress. I was like, you realize you, you come across, you, you come, uh, you, you come over like that. You got to change your clothes. You got to change this. You got to wear this and you got to wear this. Right. And they started dictating my life. And of course I was, I was listening to it and I started to really pick up from, from their input on how they think I should be presenting myself. And I eventually became a specialist on raising capital from millennials. Wow. So basically they told you, put some Jordans on, wear some tighter pants and, <laughs> and put some holes in your shirt and call it Yeezys and you'll be good to go. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's a great adjustment. All right. So I know you, you got a lot of things going on in life and ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are listening and watching, thank you so much for asking your questions. Ray Lee, Tiwa, thank you for chiming in for everybody who's watching and listening. Thank you again, again, again. Thank you so much. So we got one more question for you, Ed, and this is the tougher question, but we always close out with this question. 
What question do you wish you were asked more often? And what's the answer to that question? I think one of the big questions that that I like being asked is, how can I improve, right? And with the mindset of being open in, um, because when when somebody says, how can I improve? It's Mm -hmm. what we talk about having an internal locus of control, which is part of the 12-step program. And part of the 12-step program is I have to admit that I don't know. And that's the first step to really start opening up and having change. But if somebody says, hey, um, I wasn't able to close is because of that person and this person. That's an external locus of control. That's who I was when I wasn't able to close those millennials, which is basically I told them is like, well, they were dumb. They didn't see my value. That was an external locus of control. When I said that to my mentor, my mentor came back and was like, no, it's your fault. You, know, you didn't you didn't resonate with them. That's an internal locus of control. So part of it is, is that the first step to improvement is asking the world, how can I get better? Because I recognize I can be better. It's the first step of every 12-step program. And there's a reason why those 12-step programs work and really start to affect change. So if you're not an, if you're not an addiction, you can still do the same thing in business. And the first step is recognizing that I need to improve or I need to change and I need to get the insight from somewhere else. Sheesh. So those of you who are still here listening, if y'all aren't getting something from Ed, something is seriously wrong. I want you to go back after I post this thing, go back on the YouTube, subscribe on YouTube, whatever you got to do, figure it out and watch this over again because Ed is throwing some some money at you right now and you're not, you got to catch it. I just want to make sure you're catching it. All right, Ed, so I know, we get, like I said, we're going to close out. I'm really excited. So I want to ask more questions, but we'll bring you back on later on because I know you got things to do. How do people get a hold of you and where can they get in contact with you and reach out to you? The best way to uh, to reach out to me is uh, on LinkedIn. And I'll say that for a couple of reasons. Uh, part of it is, is that on LinkedIn, if you connect with me, just use my name, Edmund Chen, you'll find me there um, and just you know throw me a, a connection link. But the the reason why I use that is because I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll give in other bite-sized pieces on a, on a weekly basis or other nuggets of knowledge to, to really help people succeed. And that's really my motivation is to help people improve and get better. And whether you're just going to be following me on the sidelines and just watching you know, some of my posts or getting a little bit further and retaining me or hiring me to coach you directly. But LinkedIn is probably the best way. Fantastic. Good stuff, Ed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm the Oliver Perry. This is my buddy, Ed. Oh, wrong side. Ed Ed Chin. And make sure you guys reach out to him if you need help with capital raising, that kind of thing. If you want to find out more about the podcast or want to tune in again, please make sure you like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. You can also uh, follow on the Facebook at the same name, the Oliver Perry. Or you can find me on IG at the Oliver Perry, as well as I on LinkedIn at just Oliver Perry. So until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again so much for tuning in. We will see you again next time. Make sure you always remember you're better than you were, but you're not half as good as you're going to be. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Oliver Perry show. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, be sure to follow Oliver at the Oliver Perry on Instagram, Oliver Perry on LinkedIn and the Oliver Perry show on YouTube. Until next time, take care.